This is episode 107 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. Angela joins me for today's Q&A to discuss how to form a success pack, how to brainstorm your goals, and the biggest leadership lesson I've learned in business. We made the switch to Angela joining me on this because it's way more fun doing these with someone else, and you'll soon hear how much better the answers are. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. If you're struggling to keep up with processing your email, SaneBox might be just the tool you need. It has saved me hours of time each month, and the amount of peace of mind I get from it is priceless. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. Move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from the sender again. One and done. Just how we like it. Because email can be such a bear and keep you from finishing the stuff that matters, we worked out a great deal for our listeners. Visit sanebox.com forward slash giant and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter the credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Again, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com forward slash giant. So we're going to do something a little different today in that Angela is also joining me to do questions and answers or Q&A sessions because um, it's way more fun doing it together and... We'll see how it's going to go. So we're just going to drive right into the questions today. So what do you get? Well, when you said better together, I kind of want to start singing. It's always better when we're together, Mm -hmm. but I won't. Okay. He was thinking this was going to be more fun. Now he's like, oh my God, what did I do? Okay. So Q&A. The first question actually comes from the campfire, our Facebook group, and it's from Kat. She um, said that she had joined the group after meeting you at WDS uh, earlier this month, and she has a question that she wanted to post to this group. During your talk, Charlie, you recommended that people in the audience make a list of every person that is in their success pack. Then you said that they needed to tell everyone in their success pack that they were in it. So now she's wondering, how do I tell these people this so that they'll understand? And she's also looking for suggestions, especially for any guides that she follows that don't, but that she doesn't personally know. All right. That's a great question. So there's a little bit of setup to it to make it make sense. So this is coming from one of my start finishing workshops. And in those workshops, I uh, show people how to build their success pack. And their success pack has four different types of people in there. They have guides, which are people who are a little bit further down the road than you are. There are um, peers, which are people who are roughly at the same level of career success and talent and accomplishment. 
Um, then you have on the third, you have your supporters, which are people who help you on the road, but may not be on the road with you. These could be partners, teammates. Um, they could be a whole slew of people who aren't shoulder to shoulder with you, mm-hmm. um, but are still a fundamental part of, of you being successful and doing your best work. Mm-hmm. Then fourth are the beneficiaries, which are the people who benefit from you doing your best work. These could be customers. It could be um, the world. It could be animals. It could be um, the people who benefit from your nonprofit, whatever that is. Okay. So those are the four types of people that go into your success pack. Okay. List them again. So guides, peers, supporters, and beneficiaries. Okay. Perfect. Um, and the point is to pick as specific as people as possible. Like we don't want all of the residents of New Hampshire to be, say, the, the beneficiaries, <laughs> right? Um, nothing that there, there's nothing wrong with the residents of New Hampshire, but it's more that that doesn't give you a really good place to start, right? You want to have specific people in mind, both to ask for help, but on the beneficiary side of things, to be able to ask them to see if what you're creating for them actually resonates with them or lights them up or works for them. Mm, Um, You know, her question about guides is one that I get a lot, right? Because a lot of times we want to choose guides that we may or may not know or that we feel are way above our level. And that's a typical sort of thing. But what we found is that when you define the project that you're working on really well and you define the beneficiaries and you really do some scoping, it gives you a lot of... um, really good conversation starters, and it gives you a really good way to reach out um, to that particular person. So, you know, what I have in mind right now is the Wayfinding Academy, which I talk about a lot um, Mm -hmm. because I'm on the board of directors of it. Michelle has started an alternative college, or it's a college that really reverses um, the traditional higher ed model. And it's something in a lot of ways that when people hear about it, they're like, I wish I would have had that when I was in um, when I was in school or going through school, I wish that was an option for me. And they want to be a part of the pack mm-hmm. to the point to where it's actually a bit of the blessed challenge of not knowing what to do with all the support that, that comes in for it. Right. And mm-hmm. so the more compelling your project or mission is, the more likely people want to join your success pack, right? Mm-hmm. Guides and supporters and um, peers just want to be a part of it because it's such a needed thing. We can all see it. Um, what I always recommend for people is to get some progress on the project that they're working on Mm -hmm. so that they can say, I am doing this Mm. as opposed to I'm thinking about doing this. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people who are, you know, talking, talking, talking about what they're going to do, but they never actually do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all have that friend that's for last, last seven years said they're going to do something Mm -hmm. and they haven't. Um, but people want to be a part of something that's already in motion. So if you can go ahead and start getting some wins and putting some points on the board, then people are much more likely to want to join your pack. Because at that point, you can say, hey, I am doing this. Mm-hmm. I think it's really needed, and I think these specific people will be um, better off because of doing this. I would like to... Um, be able to, if you're talking to a guide. So, I, you know, because of what you've done in the past, similar to what I'm doing, um, I'm, you know, looking up to you and I would like to be able to reach out occasionally, maybe with a question to see what you would advise me to do on this. It's mm-hmm. not going to be a big thing. We're not talking about coaching all the time, but just if I get stuck or if I need, you know, just a little bit of experience from someone who's gone a little bit further down the road than I have, would it be okay if I email you about that? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so you kind of outlay what that project is, mm-hmm. what the goal is, show the person you're talking to why it's relevant to them and why they're, they're on there, and then make the specific request, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is, and maybe this is a topic for another day, is that a lot of times when we get nervous and we're lacking confidence, mm-hmm. um, we don't actually get to a question. Yeah. We just kind of send a bunch of words. Mm-hmm. And I know as, um, you know, the fact that I'm some other people's guides and I'm, it's a blessed position to be in, a lot of times I'll get an email and I have no idea what the actual question is mm-hmm. or what the request is mm-hmm. or really how to get involved in it, right? And so when you're reaching out to people, and again, I'm, I'm focusing on guides because that was Kat's question. Mm-hmm. The trick is to be succinct yes. and direct about what you want, Right. Um, and you know, there's a post we have, we'll link it up in the show notes is how to be brief without being a jerk, but, um, be be brief and email without being a jerk. But, um, the thing about it is, is I've learned through doing this, that crafting a really good five to six question email, Mm -hmm. or excuse me, five to six sentence, um, email is a really good way to get people's attention Mm -hmm. and to get what you need. Because, um, I don't know about you, Angela, but when I see like four or five paragraphs in an email, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to sit down and get some tea and some coffee, maybe print that out and get a highlighter out to figure out what's going on. And let's be real, that doesn't happen. Yeah. But if someone sends me a clear question that I can answer, Mm -hmm. um, then it just happens. Especially, um, this is an aside, but you'll see these like with the interview questions, like people want to interview you and ask a a question. Mm -hmm. It's really, really helpful when people like, you know, three sentences is fine. Because I'm like, I can, it takes me longer to reject that or to say no, or almost as long to say no as it does to say yes. Mm-hmm. So that's for guides, like really how to approach guides. Have, make it easy for them. Make it super easy for yes. them. Have a clear project, have mm-hmm. a clear goal, show, while they're, show why they're relevant. Mm-hmm. And then four, be clear in what you're asking them to do, right? Um, I would really say on this, if you can get disciplined, one email, one question, mm-hmm. right? Don't ask 17 questions because then all of a sudden it's it's hard to answer. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's what I've got for that. Can you think of anything else? Um, I guess this just expands on it a little bit, but I, I'm kind of curious taking it just a little bit further with um, what it is to put in that short email or that short letter or that short whatever it is that you have going to someone that you would like to be your guide. Um, Is it helpful to say why them being a part of it would benefit this certain group or why what you're doing would be like life changing or something like that? Because I could see how that could go both ways. Well, that's challenging. I mean, obviously, if you're doing something that benefits someone they're already doing work to benefit, mm-hmm. then um, it's it's a no-brainer. For instance, if you're in, say, a nonprofit or cause-based business and you know that they work with ho- with the homeless population and mm-hmm. your project really benefits the homeless population, then the question or the, the sort of interaction that you have with them is more around we're doing something together, mm-hmm. right? Where we both have the same mission here. Mm-hmm. Will you help me by this? Like, And so yeah. you become a part of the cause they're already wanting to do. And let's get real. 
whenever you have a big mission like that or you have a big cause, like you're always looking for new people to help out, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you can show that synergy and alignment, then it's an easy yes for them. Yeah. Um, If you're talking more from a business perspective, then if you know they serve a certain audience and what you're doing serves that same audience, then there are increased opportunities. But like, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, got a project that's going to benefit mechanics um, and only mechanics, then it might not make sense to like send a pitch to Damon John, right? Because mm-hmm. that's not quite what Damon John does. He does fashion and apparel and things like that, right? And so there's this, he would be like, what, what does this have to do anything? Now, if it maybe were African-American mechanics, then maybe you might have more sort of alignment and purchase because he has different benefits that he does to help African-American entrepreneurs and professionals. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you're looking for is you're looking for that alignment. You don't necessarily have to say, this is how this will benefit you personally. Um, and you got to actually be careful with that one because, um, you're making a lot of assumptions about Mm -hmm. what someone will be benefited by. Right. And it can seem some, well, Let's back up a little bit. So in predictable and predictably irrational, Dan Ariely writes about the two different types of context that we're in. We're in an economic context and we're in a social context, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we screw request up because we'll make an economic request of someone when it should have been a social contest. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, when it should have been a social request. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of like when you ask your friends to say move stuff for you, like to move you into your new house. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay to buy them lunch for them helping you. Mm-hmm. It gets awkward if you were just to pay them 25 bucks to come help you. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you've made a social request, but you've done it in an economic or you've made a, a so you made a request in a social context, mm-hmm. but you're trying to give economic rewards and it feels awkward. Yeah. Right. Because I'm like, wait a second. I'm working all day for 25 bucks. Mm-hmm. My time is worth more than that. But if I just offer to ha- like hang out and take you to lunch or something like that, you're like, okay. <laughs> right. Um, and so you have to be careful because if you're talking to someone, whether whoever they are in this, in this, in this um, four kinds of people, like in your success pack, if you're making a, sh- a social request and you built up the goodwill and the relationship capital to do that, keep it a social request. Mm. If it's really one of those things to where you're trying to show them how they're economically going to be better off, then show them directly that they're economically going to be better off because you're really asking them to pitch or promote something, mm-hmm. which might have a different sort of feel to it. So you have to be careful. Um, you have to be careful in those contexts that you don't cross. Excuse me. You don't have to be careful that you don't cross into those different social or, eco- or economic contexts because it can backfire on you in a bad way. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I appreciate you kind of talking a bit more about that. And I really love that you, t- I, I really um, resonated when you talked about like, this is what we're doing together. Like, this is how we're both in this. That's, that's a really great way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, and if you're really not both, if you don't have an aligned mission, mm-hmm. that person probably shouldn't be your guide anyways. Exactly. Right. Um so find someone that has an aligned mission, aligned cause. They're serving the same people. Um, they're out trying to make the same type of change or ruckus that you're trying to make. Um, and then you're a bandmate as mm-hmm. opposed to just, you know, someone in the crowd like clapping for them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to move on to the second question. But before I do that, though, I do. I am wanting to ask one more thing about this this model here. Hit me. 
When you talk about the peers, and I'm asking this because I've had people ask me this before, are these people who are all in your same um, line of work and are doing it in a similar, like, they're as far along as you are in social media marketing? Or are these... No, I mean... Different. What you're looking at for peers... Okay, so let's let's split it up. Sometimes you need peers that are in your in your same industry because you're trying to learn with and from them, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're trying to learn more about social media marketing, finding a peer that's about the same level as you are that you can like teach each other and learn together can be a really smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, there are sort of skill groups. Um, mm-hmm. that you can think about like that, right? But then there are sort of general feedback, what I'm doing in the world groups, right? Sort of personal development groups. Mm-hmm. And they don't need to be um, on the same, um, in the same industry, mm-hmm. um, but they need to have um, similar enough um, growing pains and things like that. For instance, um, if you are, so, I mean, l- let's just get to brass, you know, the brass tacks here. If you are in a place where you're, say, trying to grow your business mm-hmm. in a certain way, and um, you're you're someone in your peer group like is a um, multi level millionaire, or you're, you're like three or four economic levels above you, it's going to be very challenging actually, mm-hmm. because you're coming from different worlds. So they, you know, they might say something like, "Well, just hire someone." Like seriously, and you're like. I am not yet profitable. I'm not mm-hmm. paying myself, right? Yeah. And so it's hard for it's hard for them. And so even though, um, and so in that case, um, they might be at a different sort of economic reality than you are. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful though, because if you just choose to to have people in your pack that are you're all sort of at the same economic level, you're going to trend line and sort of you're going to cap each other. And so you do want diversity. Yeah. My main point about that was just trying to show that there's a worldview difference sometimes that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they're incompatible, that's when you have a problem. What you're generally want to look for is someone is just getting started with something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what industry they're in. You're going to have the same type of growth challenges if you're just getting started with something. Mm-hmm. If someone has reached a growth plateau in a certain way, and you've reached a growth plateau, then you're going to be able to talk about different things. Like, you know, we talk about this in the Small Business Life Cycle, which is um, the book I wrote a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about different stages of business. And so when, a lot of times what I'll see is when people form masterminds and success packs, when one of those people start to break away and move in different levels, or excuse me, different stages of the business life cycle, mm-hmm. um, they're no longer really a fit for that mastermind or group anymore because they're not going to get what they need from that group, what they're talking about hiring and scaling and growing and multi-level locations and things like that. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is still trying to figure out what their product is. Um, the person who has grown is going to be in a de facto coaching position yeah, and not getting what they need. Yeah. So that's really what we're looking at is like, I, I want you to think more this way. Think in terms of say, like going to college where you have freshmen, sophomore, junior, and seniors, mm-hmm. right? Sophomores are largely going to have the same type of career challenges, regardless of what they're studying. Mm, okay. Right. So I want you to think in kind of that way. Who's kind of at their, my level of, career and creative and personal development um, that, and this is important in your, um, 
in your peer groups that actually have the time and um, interest in um, supporting you at the level that you need. Because sometimes someone can only like, they just don't have what you need. Mm -hmm. And at that peer level is where you're looking at people that's more sort of shoulder to shoulder with you. Maybe you're talking to them a couple times a month. You're staying in more contact. Whereas with your guides, that might be a once a quarter reach out or just an every once in a while sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks for talking a little more about that. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful to think about. Okay. Let's move on to the second question that we had. Um, Shanna actually has another question here. Um, and it's also from the campfire. She is curious about um, some things around planning. Um, she says, Hey folks, when you're doing the quarterly, annual, or even monthly planning, I'm guessing you probably can't just start with a nice, neat, linear list. I know I can't. So where do you begin? Journaling, mind mapping, several drafts? I know things have to be messy before they can be organized, but while I have no problem pulling out the contents of a closet or room and strewing them around for a while... I get major overwhelm when I do this with potential plans. I think I'm probably missing something obvious and easily workable. So I'm looking to find out how other people do that. That's a great question. It's a very good question. It's a layered question, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that... I'm going to back up a little bit. One of the things we really did this year with the Momentum Planners is separated the brainstorming planners that we had and the actual planning worksheets that we had, because those are two different processes Mm -hmm. and people were getting really confused. And when we tried to do it with some of our past designs, it just didn't work for people. Mm -hmm. Right. So what I want to say is what, um, what Shanna is bringing up is like, wait a second, where do we do the brainstorming Mm -hmm. before we do the planning? Yeah. Right. Great question. I actually prefer mind mapping for this, right? Um, you can we'll we'll link it up in the show notes. But Tony Bazan is sort of the leader in mind mapping, and there's a lot of great software like MindNode and MindMeister that can help people do this using tools. Though I still prefer to do it. Um, I would say on a piece of paper, but Angela knows that's not true. I do it <laughs> on the whiteboard more more often than not. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm going to pause here, right? The reason I love working on whiteboards. And I think I maybe talked about this in some in some past episodes, is because we put stuff on the whiteboard and we know we're going to erase it. Mm-hmm. We know we're going to change it. It's just a conceptual working space, and we have no attachments to the process or no attachment to the mess that we're making mm-hmm. until we start making commitments. Yeah, right. And so I really think that, um, especially for creative people, mind mapping is a is a great tool to do that because it helps you get all of it down there. It helps you do the the capture and brainstorming process. And then when you move into that second space where you start making decisions on what you're doing, you start making what decisions on which of these goals I'm going to do, which of these projects I'm going to pursue, or excuse me, which of these goals I'm going to pursue and which of these projects I'm going to do, um, when I'm going to sequencing, you sort of shift into a different mind space when that happens. Mm. Um, I've been meaning to do a post on this for years, Angela, but, um, I do what is called integrated mind mapping. And -hmm. what I'll do is I'll take, um, for instance, if you're looking at a landscape piece of paper, so first pro tip here, or excuse me, piece of paper, first pro tip for mind mapping is turn it landscape, Mm -hmm. right? Not portrait landscape. And then you take the left 
20% of it or so, and you draw a big line mm-hmm. on that left 20%. And then you do all the mind mapping over there on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. But then you have that left side for when you start making sequenced lists and you start making plans and everything. Because what happens, and after I've done hundreds of mind maps and worked with people with mind maps, what happens is you'll do a mind map and you'll get it all down mm-hmm. and you'll feel good, but you'll have no idea what the hell to do next. Mm. Like, what do I do with this mind map? I'm just looking at it. I feel better. I feel stiller. Mm-hmm. But tomorrow, I'm going to wake up in the morning and say, what do I do? Right? Yeah. And so the integrated mind map, what I like about it is, is that it has all of that sort of mind dump on the right side. So you can still see it for context. And you can still see all those relationships. Mm-hmm. At the same time that it engages the analytical set and says, saying, okay, here are the priorities. Here's the list in the order of which I'm going to do things, so on and so forth. And you have one working space that works for you, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's really how I would recommend, like for Shanna, um, in this case, to um, mind map to get our get our goals and everything else. Let it be a mess. Just let it mm-hmm. friggin' be a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna pause here because I always have to shout this out, right? Whiteboards are cheap. Yeah. Relatively. Yeah. They are cheap, and they are some of the best. Um, thinking age you'll ever come with, come up with, right? And don't, if you can't, I mean, I understand people have different space requirements, but a good like six foot whiteboard, mm-hmm. man, it is so liberating as a creative person to have that much space. Yeah. And on that one, you would just take like the left two foot and you would just draw a big line there and that gives you four foot of working space. Mm-hmm. And again, there's something about the whiteboard and the markers and the different colors and everything like that that just really... Um, makes it easier to dump whatever on your brain, um, get it out there. And then as you move over into that left space, you can turn your analytic hat on and say, okay, so what's the sequence here? And how does how do I make that project smart? Mm-hmm. Um, smart acronym, specific, meaningful, meaningful, actionable, realistic, trackable. That's sort of a PF framework. We'll link it up. Um, you know, how do I do all that over in that space? And you could do a little doodling over there. But then if you just want to jump right back to the mind map, you can do that. Mm-hmm. That's how I would recommend doing that. The second thing that I want to say, so that's layer number one. Okay. Separate um, the brainstorming from the planning stage, okay. right? Um, st- separate the creative process, uh, the creative mess mm-hmm. from the analytic processing. Okay. It's that's a great way to think about that. That's level one. Second layer is remember that. Um, it takes a few passes to get your goals and planning right. Um, I, I did a wave on this a few weeks ago. Um, and the reality is, is that our first plans, the bigger they the bigger they are, like the strategic plans, the higher view they are, the more we overreach mm-hmm. when we first do them. So just understand that you're going to have to come back to that plan and whittle it down to something that looks closer to realistic. Normally, um, I tell people it's going to be in that third pass. Mm-hmm. In the first pass, you're wildly optimistic, <laughs> right? In the second pass, you tone it down for reality a little bit. You do some of the grieving that it's going to take to like let go of those types of things. And then in the third pass is where you finally say, you know what, this is what I'm committing to. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually recommend that you can do the first and second pass on the first day. Mm-hmm. that you're doing the planning, but then give yourself at least overnight or maybe a weekend to come back and do that third pass. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's, that's going to give you enough time to shake out what's, what's really important to you versus um, what you just wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so that's layer number two, 
recognize that it's going to take multiple passes, even when you get it structured and layered, right? Um, so what do you do? This is, I mean, I realize this is a very simple question, but sometimes we just get stuck in the weeds. If you just have one whiteboard, I mean, do you, what do you do? Do you take a picture of your whiteboard or? Absolutely. All right. Right. Okay. Um, I take more pictures of this whiteboard than, than anything, but. <laughs> then yeah. I take of cats. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> um, you've, you've got me beat there, huh? Um, so yeah, take pictures of it and store it in Dropbox, right? Um, okay. If you're in a team format, and I have to remind people of this sometimes because this was one of those like facepalm moments that people were having when I was speaking at Camp GLP. It's like if you're the leader of a team, mm-hmm. you can make the whiteboard or you can like draw your mind map out. Mm-hmm. If you've got decent enough handwriting and your team's been with you long enough, you can take a picture of that and send it to a teammate that can make it digital. Mm, right. Nice. Um, or you can write a to do list on a board, mm-hmm. take a picture and send it to a teammate who can go ahead and put it in the tools. I mean, on that front, this is one of those random asides, but um, for instance, we use Asana for our um, task and project management. Mm-hmm. And I, we also use a tool called Hackpad, which is a super fast wiki. I love Hackpad. Well, I can scope out a project in Hackpad in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. For me to get that same project in Asana takes like 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are some other things like if I, ta- if I assign the task, then I become a follower, but I don't necessarily need to be the follower. I just need to hand it off, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, having the process by which you as the project scoper and the visionary like come up with that, take a picture and then send it to someone who's, who does the management and, and execution of that can be a great way to keep you in your genius zone. Um, but not have the bottleneck of, you know, I've got all these plans somewhere and I'm, I've been meaning to get them to you forever. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a military thing that um, it's, it's the one thirds, two thirds rule. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that for however much time you have to actually execute that project or, you know, whatever you're on um, one third of that should be spent. No more than one third of that should be spent in the planning for your side of things. And it's better to get information, incomplete information to people sooner mm-hmm. rather than waiting until the plan is fully completed mm-hmm. and not giving people enough execution time. Mm. And so, yeah. for instance, right now I can say um, with, with the state of our team right now, we could say, Hey, um, we're going to be launching this in two months, right? On this date. Mm-hmm. Um, here's roughly what the thing is going to be. It's roughly going to look like that. Mm-hmm. Now, I think some people would be like, well, I'm going to wait until I know exactly what I'm doing and what that's going to look like. But by me telling, say, Joe and Shannon and, you know, you, Angela, that we're doing this in a couple months, it lets you all start initiating the actions that we're now going to have to start happening, like getting people trained up to be able to do a launch, like blocking out calendars, like being ready to go through the creative cage match when I want to add something else on top of the launch, right? <laughs> and all those different types of things you start prepping for mm-hmm. as opposed to me waiting and holding on to that for six weeks and then being like, oh, by the way, we're launching something in two weeks. Yeah. Right. Because, yeah. um, you know, I'm stretching far afield here, but what I want to, while I'm talking about leadership and delegation and, and team coordination, what we oftentimes forget is that the team leaders, mm-hmm have a terrible time keeping up with the amount of stuff that they've already delegated to people. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so um, I was thinking about that today as I was just sending a bunch of stuff to Joe and Shannon. And I'm like, I can't say today on every damn thing that I sent. Right. <laughs> because 
they like Monday, I said, I needed something done Wednesday. Right. And they probably have three or four things like that they're working on already. So I can't say today, every time I do that, I just have to be able to mm-hmm. understand that I, I express, express priorities. Now, granted, it's their job to tell me like, by the way, right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've got a, pro- I've got a project and task pile up here. Like, which of these things do you want me to move? Or even better, I'm moving these for this reason, mm-hmm. right? So it's that, that's their responsibility. But it just says the team leader and the delegator. Just remember that um, your team already has stuff to do that you've already assigned them. Mm-hmm. And be careful how much you hijack them with this type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think great. we ended up with like three Q&As on that one, but that's okay. <laughs> Question two, three, four, and five. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, that's the way it goes, right? Yeah, it does. Well, let's um, let's get to our question three slash six for this episode. Uh, this one comes from Patricia through email, um, and I really love this uh, question that she sent in. What is one of the best leadership lessons you've learned in your own business, and what is one of the best you've learned from someone else? That's a great one. Um. They may be one and the same. Mm-hmm. They may be one and the same because I learned it from someone else and then I had to learn it the hard way in my own business. Uh, yes. Um, and I'm not, hmm, not, I'm not trying to be shaky with the question. I, I learned this in the military context and then I had to learn it again in the business context. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, the biggest lesson I've learned is to give people um, constructive feedback earlier, um, than later. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you read sort of the book, like the one minute manager, they talk about the one minute reprimand and reprimand is such a late 20th century term that we don't even really use in business that much. Yeah. But the basic idea is when your team, when your teammate does something that doesn't meet the standard or that disappoints you or that frustrates you or that otherwise is not what, um, what needed to happen Mm -hmm. is it rather than waiting on, um, a, a string of those to pile up mm-hmm. is that you immediately and quickly and directly and compassionately at the same time, let them know that, um, what they did didn't quite meet the standard or that it disappointed you or something like this. So, um, mm-hmm. I think what happens is, and I'm, I'm prone about this. I have to really work on giving you know, like, um, constructive feedback or the one minute reprimand. Um, what we want to avoid is the pile up. Mm-hmm. To where like there's been a bunch of things that people haven't been doing quite that that has frustrated you and disappointed you and let you down, mm-hmm. and then there through some you know eval or some blow up you're like and this happened and this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then all of a sudden it all comes flooding out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a bridge to nowhere good when it comes to team um, to team performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't build trust. It doesn't make room for accountability. Um, it doesn't build a good rapport. It just really tears down pretty much anything that you're going to do. Yeah. Right. And I think what's also important is that because it's positive reinforcement is such a positive or such a powerful motivator for teammates, such a powerful motivator for people, we're much more prone to give positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, if all you give is positive reinforcement and then you have a, um, evaluation meeting or you have a blow up and then all this other stuff comes out, Mm -hmm. then um, it makes you, it makes whatever you say seem really passive aggressive. Mm -hmm. 
right? That's interesting. And seem like, you know, you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. The other thing is that if you can give that one minute reprimand, um, in the context of a bunch of positive reinforcement, people really pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And they know that when you say they did a good job, they, you really mean good job. I really appreciate this. So on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And they know that if they didn't meet the standard, that you're going to let them know they didn't meet the standard and everybody knows where they are at any given point in time. And that sort of anxiety and insecurity that comes from not knowing where you stand with people mm-hmm. causes a lot of the dysfunction in teams. Yeah. Yeah. So I learned that in the military, right? I will be honest here. It was so much easier to give one minute reprimands in the military than it is in, in our, our business. I mean, sure. we have 18 mates and all of them, but me or women. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's so much harder to just, you know, there, there's a culture of that in the military mm-hmm. that it's just so easier. Right. Um, to like something didn't go right. And it's like, that's wrong. Fix it. And you walk off, right? And that's really all you have to say, right? Um, good effort, but it's wrong, right? Get it right. Um, or you can say it more compassionately, but it wasn't a, like, let's have tea and get grounded and, like, go through a whole sort of long thing, which sometimes be in creative businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm laughing because sometimes that's what it ends up like. We can't just say, like, stop that, do this. Mm-hmm. what happened to this due date, right? Mm-hmm. Get right or get gone, right? Those types of things that are like, <laughs> just are part of the military culture, just to be honest, right? So yeah. I'm, I miss it sometimes, right? Because and it makes me cringe. It makes, yeah. So it makes Angela cringe. I'm right? over here near tears just thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, just thinking about hearing me, <laughs> hearing me. So it's like, let's have tea and, you know, maybe go for a walk, yes. right? Um, so the, um, the best lesson, leadership lesson I've learned is how to be, um, authentic and transparent in the touch points that I have with teammates mm-hmm. and when they're doing a great job. Like I love like ninja cheerleading the team. Like they like they're doing something and like they're just kind of working, but they do something amazing mm-hmm. and they don't celebrate themselves. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. Like look at what you did. That's that's such a cool thing, right? I love doing that mm-hmm. way more than I being like than I love being like, no, that didn't <laughs> that didn't do it. Right. Yeah. But I think knowing that they can trust what I'm saying mm-hmm. is more important than what I'm saying always being super fuzzy and super yeah. positive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I learned that lesson um, in my own business in multiple ways. Like what happens when you don't do it? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've learned from someone else in the sense of like, you know, um, it, it's just one of those leadership lessons learned that like you got to, You've got to be able to have those fierce conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to be able to um, be vulnerable. And um, I'm going to pause here. It's, re- it's relevant, right? Um, maybe we'll talk about it in a, in a completely different environment. Um, but I like, I aspire, and I think we sometimes get there, where um, Team PF is a feelings-conscious business. Mm-hmm. We're aware of where people are, what they're feeling physically, emotionally, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. But to have a feelings conscious business, you have to be able to have a conflict ready business at the same time, hmm. right? Um, you have to, to be feelings conscious, you have to be conflict ready. Um, because. Can you talk about that yeah, a little bit? <laughs> a little bit. Um, because if um, people 
can only share the feelings that they that are so that are that they won't make anyone upset. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for people to be really authentic and be where they are. Yeah. Right. If someone, if there's not room in your team in your space for your someone to legitimately express that they are frustrated mm-hmm. about something that happened, mm-hmm. which may create conflict, mm-hmm. then all of those feelings get pushed aside. Right. And mm-hmm. it's not useful. Yeah. Right. So if you really want to have a empathetic team, mm-hmm. you really want to have a, a feelings conscious team, you have to have a team that's ready for conflict. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't yeah. mean I mean, when we think conflict, we think capital C conflict like it's a big thing. Yeah. Right. Um, but just being able for someone to, to, to say the emotional equivalent of ouch. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or that makes me uncomfortable or upset mm-hmm. or sad. Um that creates discomfort and discord that could create discomfort and discord, which we would call conflict. Mm -hmm. If you neuter out all of that, then you get this sort of Pollyanna business where like everything is awesome and everything is cool when you're part of a team, (laughs) except for um, you can't actually be human. Yeah. 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 Thank you for talking a bit more about that. I think that that's a really important piece of it that, that we, have to keep in mind for our businesses, for sure. I love um, one of the things I was noticing as you started to answer this question from Patricia about, you know, what did you, what's one of the most important lessons you've learned as a leader? What was just like flashing in my mind was like, wait, this is in like life and relationships all the time. Like another context where, what's good for us in business and as business leaders is what's good for us in our general relationships as well with friends, family, partners, whatever it might be that talking about things as they come up, the good, the bad, all of it, um, and not letting it pile. Yeah. I mean, as much as we try to separate life and business or life and career, I mean, let's get real. Like it's, hard to be a private person mm-hmm. and a business person when you're just a person, mm-hmm. right? At their core, you're just a person. Yeah. And so um, that's, that's where we can get in trouble with trying to, to make those divides between, yeah. between this. And um, while I recognize that there are plenty of contexts where you're different at home than you are at work, mm-hmm. right? For different reasons, because we all wear masks and personas, mm-hmm. right? At a certain point, if you have a personal challenge, you're going to have a business challenge. Oh yeah. And most of your business challenges are going to come from a personal challenge. Mhm. Absolutely. Cool. Well, what do you think? Let's call it a wrap. Okay. That was awesome. I just want to say thank you so much to Kat, Shanna, and Patricia for those questions. They were really really insightful questions. Um and they brought out some good discussion. So Alrighty, and thanks for joining me for this Q&A. We're going to keep doing it because it's way more fun doing it together. Yes, and I'm not going to sing now. (laughs) All right. Alrighty, guys, thanks for joining us for um, this question and answer episode. I'm Charlie Gilkey. And I'm Angela Wheeler. Until next time, stand tall. We're having some great conversations in the Creative Giant Campfire, our free Facebook group. Search for Creative Giant Campfire in Facebook to join us there. It's where we're grabbing these questions, but we're also sharing prompts, micro posts, and other content that helps us stand tall together.
And if you're digging The Creative Giant Show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review or rating on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.